0: Welcome back to yet another episode of Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about movies, usually, that just came out. But today, we're talking about a true classic. We're talking about Jurassic Park, the movie that is now 30 years old. It's actually in theaters right now for its 30th anniversary, and I would highly recommend seeing it if you haven't, or even if you have. It seems like it's a really good re-release. I unfortunately have not had the time to go myself yet. That being said, we're talking about Jurassic Park. Now this, uh, I've been pretty open about this on uh, this podcast, I believe, that Jurassic Park is a pretty big blind spot for me specifically. Pierre also hadn't seen it in a while, so um, this was really just a joy to, to return to for him and for me to see for the first time. And once again, it is a big creature feature, in a way, from Steven Spielberg. And... Our last episode was about Jaws. This one is about Jurassic Park. It's really interesting to compare and contrast the two because for one thing, they're about 20 years apart. But in addition to that, there's also a lot of things that uh, you can really see Steven Spielberg maturing as a director. And um, also John Williams maturing as a composer, despite the fact that I believe he was already well-established even as a film composer by the time of Jaws. That man has been working for so long, it's incredibly impressive. Anyhow, uh, for Jurassic Park, once again, we try uh, we try very hard not to spoil too much. This is a 30-year-old movie though, so we may not try as hard as we could. I do want to just make sure you have that in mind, but uh, we do make sure that we, I believe in, the, in this and the last one, Basically, where we summarize the movie is the it is the effective spoiler warning, and then there's a spoiler warning after that, like a more explicit one. Anyway, uh, I'm very excited for you guys to hear this. This is uh, this gave us a lot of avenues to talk about Jurassic Park as a series, uh, dinosaurs as a cinematic element, and also just what Steven Spielberg does really well with uh adventure movies action movies monster movies it's it's been a real joy looking back at some of steven spielberg's bigger works obviously we've only barely scratched the surface but he is and i'm sure this will surprise no one a very talented director and it's interesting to look at what works about his movies so i hope that you will find this discussion interesting And, uh, you know, I'd be really interested to hear anyone who finds specific things about Steven Spielberg interesting that either we imply that we don't or that we didn't say. That's really interesting. If you want to talk to us about Spielberg, just reach out. But in the meantime, you are going to hear one of the themes to Jurassic Park. This is probably the one that's going to be... You're going to hear both of them at some point during the course of this episode, but we're going to start with Jurassic Park Gate. another episode of Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about Steven Spielberg. and uh, Pierre, I had a question for you. That is, of the Steven Spielberg movies that you've seen, what would you say is Steven Spielberg's uh, strongest genre that he makes movies in?
1: Um, I'd say action? (laughs) Action movies?
0: Now, Uh, To follow up on that a little bit, in this case, in this context, what do you consider action movies? Because that's very broad. So let's narrow it down just a little bit.
1: Um, Action movies with family.
0: Do you want to give an example? That might help narrow it down a bit.
1: Jurassic Park.
0: (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good example, actually.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I don't know where that came from. It's off the top of my head. I don't know.
0: Well, I I brought that up specifically because today we are talking about a movie from the year 1993, which is the year that Steven Spielberg won an Academy Award for directing, and one of Steven Spielberg's movies won Best Picture. Uh, Were you aware of that, Pierre? Obviously, you were aware that Steven Spielberg has at some point won both of those awards. Were you aware that was
1: 1993? Uh, I think I might have been. I don't know. I think like if you told me that, I wouldn't be surprised if that makes sense. But I don't think I knew it off the top of my head.
0: The point, of course, is that we're not talking about that movie. We're talking about the other movie he released in 1993. Because weirdly enough, that was a two-movie year for Steven Spielberg.
1: Yeah, and they were potentially two of the best movies of his career. Uh, I haven't seen Schindler's List, but I have seen people cry about Schindler's List. So I'm going to assume it's a good movie. It's a movie that
0: uh, a friend of mine has recommended, like basically the week, you know, we, we met in second year, we were pretty good friends. And then sometime during that year, he found out I'm very big into movies and he's like, you should watch Schindler's List. And second year, uh, when I say second year, I mean, second year university, which was now about six or seven years ago. And I still have not seen it. So at some point, if you also haven't seen Schindler's List, I feel like that might be the next Spielberg movie that makes sense to talk about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's a great <laughs> back-to-back feature with Jurassic Park. Like, Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> especially, you, you you specifically don't really want to... Actually, no, I think... I can't think of many movies you'd want to watch right after Schindler's List. From what it's I can one tell. That, that would I've really heard... fit.
0: It, it sounds like one where you take the day to, like... You carve out three hours of your day to watch Schindler's List, and then you keep the rest of the day open because you want to just like sit there with it.
1: Yeah, sounds very. Or about right?
0: you know, impulsively find a way to take your mind off it.
1: Yeah, and I don't want to do that anytime soon, <laughs> to be honest. So,
0: however, one thing you don't have to take your mind off of is the movie you actually mentioned, Jurassic Park, which we did watch today. That we is did. much more fun.
1: Yeah, Jurassic Park is, I mean, everyone knows Jurassic Park. It's probably one of the biggest well-known franchises of all time. And, I I mean, considering the amount of, like, not goodness they put on screen, like, it's amazing that the franchise still has an amazing amount of goodwill and makes a ton of money despite not really doing anything, like,
0: substantial.
1: Because you could even argue there's, like, franchises, like, at least like the fast and furious movies there's like this they're kind of like they got the memeable quality about them Mm -hmm. you know and like uh but jurassic park it's like i i honestly don't know what they're about anymore like there's nothing special about them they're just they have dinosaurs that's essentially it
0: i mean like if you look at all the movies that have come out it's been jurassic park the lost world jurassic park both of which were steven spielberg Then we have Jurassic Park 3, Jurassic World, and then like Jurassic World as a whole trilogy. And uh, I am, I think the Lost World is still like widely respected or liked. I don't know that for certain, but that has been my impression. And I know that Jurassic Park 3 is old enough now that it's got like a tiny bit of a resurgence. Like it's got its fans, but... You know, there are people who like the Jurassic World movies, but generally speaking, critics were not kind to them. And yet, not only would I not be surprised, I fully expect in the next five years or so to hear an announcement of a new Jurassic Park movie. And five years is being like, that's a long timeline. I feel like within five years, we may already have two new ones. And people will go to them and they will get insane amounts of money.
1: people like dinosaurs well specifically dinosaurs in Jurassic park that, that premise seems to be very popular because there have been dinosaur movies that flopped looking at you 65 <laughs> or what yeah i think yeah it's literally called 65. I think that was just a terribly marketed movie too but it um, was
0: not well marketed
1: yeah also not a great movie but as aside from the point um but yeah the uh the Jurassic park franchise lives on but i would say that the only truly good one was the first one? I think you could argue the second one has its moments too. The second um, one
0: is also Steven Spielberg, so I'd be surprised if the second one is truly bad.
1: Yeah, well, I, I'd say it's definitely a huge step down from the first. um With, I okay, I'm not gonna lie. I, I remember not minding it until you have Jeff Goldblum's daughter do gymnastics to to kick a <laughs> to kick a raptor in the face and like. That's the climactic moment of the movie. Um, that that still sticks in my head as kind of like ruining the movie for me because I don't remember it being terrible of in front of that. I think there was a lot of I think the concept, I think there's a there isn't there is an interesting concept there. like a lot of people say, oh, Jurassic Park should have only been one movie. Um, you know once once you have like the whole the theme of that movie is what's important, and you can't really carry on the theme afterwards. But I think there was there was something there with you know the government coming in and wanting to seize seize the assets essentially, and it kind of beca- it, it kind of takes it from I'd say the first the Jurassic Park one is like you know kind of a commentary on capitalism. I mean, so many other things, but capitalism. Um, and then you kind of move into the second one, and I say it's it's more of like well, it's not the government, is it? It's just another it's another company, but they hired they hired like military ex-military people to to get the animals right or the creatures I,
0: I'll I'll say that I have I'm pretty sure seen Jurassic Park
1: 2 yeah but they I don't would have seen one. it in 2004 which is Okay yeah. Ago. <laughs> okay so you don't remember it that well. Yeah. I don't remember it that well either so but I there there was something there. I just think that spielberg could have made it better apparently i need to read the book though i apparently the second the second book is really really good and it's very confusing because apparently steven spielberg was like begging michael crichton michael crichton i want to say is how you pronounce his name to to make a second book so that he could make a second movie and then michael Crichton made a second book which is apparently amazing and Steven Spielberg decided to not adapt the book like at all <laughs> and make the movie his own way. Um, I think I think there were like a, co- a couple common elements, like the idea of of like a bunch of military troops coming into to, to uh, seize the dinosaurs. But other than that, um, not really. But I, I heard the book's good, and I want to read the book now, especially yeah. now that I'm talking about it. It sounds really fun. So yeah but yeah it's it's just insane to me how long this franchise has lasted and yeah i don't see it ending anytime soon and i don't think it's like star wars where like like the continuity really matters you know i'm not going to be like if they make like another movie in 10 years now i'm going to be like hey like like why isn't owen in this movie where's chris pratt you know we need like we need the legacy character of chris pratt to come back or even like like You know, Jeff Goldblum coming back in the new ones wasn't, like, a huge, like, oh my god, like, they're bringing back the OG cast. It was just kind of like, oh, I like Jeff Goldblum, so it's kind of nice. I
0: gotta say, of the OG cast they brought back, like, you know, all of them are fine, but of the OG cast they bring back in Jurassic World, specifically Jurassic World 3, um, Jeff Goldblum is the only one I really thought worked because, I mean, his... Okay, I can't remember if it's in three. It might be in two only. But in, in two specifically, Jeff Goldblum scenes are all in a courtroom arguing something about dinosaurs, which is, like, super interesting. It's just the interesting – it's, like, the rest of the movie isn't interesting. Just the Jeff Goldblum parts are fun. And, like, those are the things that I watched the movie for and enjoyed. Where, like, in Jurassic Park Dominion – They brought in a bunch of characters who, I mean, we did an episode on it. I remember saying, I haven't seen the, at that point, I hadn't seen the original Jurassic Park. So, like, I didn't care about any of these characters, which I think is an important, like, that's an important thing to point out. Because even though those are characters coming from the original Jurassic Park, like, if they have no no effect or place on the... Uh, Jurassic World movies, there's no reason to bring them in just to, like, get those nostalgia books. Well, the reason is to get the nostalgia bucks. But, like, you know, they don't mean anything in that series. So, yeah. I didn't care about any of them. Even though they were, you know, well enough acted. Like, you know, Ellie Sattler is great. She's, a, she's just a good character. Laura Dern clearly likes that character, which is good. So, you know, that's fun. But, like... It didn't mean anything.
1: Yeah. Which isn't like a good thing and a bad thing. Um, because it just means that they can start the franchise new with whatever characters they want and no one's gonna. And be, but like...
0: frankly they should.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that too. I, I think I also think that drastic the Jurassic World franchise had potential. I think they were they they were going in interesting places. I just never felt like they stuck the landing, if that makes sense. I think I think one was cool because it was, like, a chance to actually see the park open. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of a novelty. I'd say the second one was setting something cool up. Like, I just liked the idea of having dinosaurs roaming around in society and, like, how humans would, like, kind of react to that, you know? And then three just kind of threw that all away. And then they tried to do another Jurassic World, like, type adventure where they're stuck in the park with dinosaurs. And I just think that that concept itself is tired. You know, I mm-hmm. wish they would just get crazy with this. If they're going to keep making movies, just go do some really weird shit, you know. I don't know why I mean, it has to stay in the park every time. It kind of feels like Star Wars where they're just like, we have to keep it empires versus rebels. That's what people like. It's like, no, people people like good storytelling in this universe, you know. And like that's like Jurassic Park. If they really stuck the landing with like that whole concept of, you know, dinosaurs integrating into modern society, like that could have been interesting. I don't know.
0: The one disadvantage to talking about movies like Jurassic Park and Jaws is that everyone in the world has already talked about them to death. So there's very little new that we're probably going to say in this podcast, which is fine. Because we're still going to say things that are true, things that are good, and don't don't go and listen to anyone else because we're the only opinions that matter. But that said, like Jurassic Park, when you're watching this movie you come for the dinosaurs and you stay for all the other stuff that's in this movie because this is like we talked about it in jaws steven spielberg has such a good attention to detail that there is so much that you can pick up on in this movie if you just like pay attention and it's a very meaningful movie like it's not it is on its face about a park that has dinosaurs in it but it's much more about yeah. the like, like you said, capitalism and the hubris of powerful people, and you know, not necess- not just how power corrupts, but how power can like, how power and money can take well-meaning science and turn it into something completely uh, unrecognizable to the actual scientists involved.
1: Yeah. I, Among other I things, mean that,
0: there's so much that, in this that's, movie.
1: That's what gives the movie its its power, and uh, you know that's that's specifically what makes the first one unique because it's really tough to make a <laughs> it's tough to make a multi billion dollar franchise based on the idea that capitalism is bad. <laughs> like, yeah. it kind of starts to you know suffer under its own weight. There, um, I mean, it is it is still kind of ironic that you know Jurassic Park was like the biggest the biggest movie of all time (laughs) when it came out and it was an anti-capitalism but i feel like it was like it wasn't just saying money is bad it was just more like you should not use money you should not use money to control things you cannot and you should also um not cheap out (laughs) you should also not be cheap when you are trying to uh really change the world i guess if that makes sense or innovate
0: I kind of feel like the anti capitalist themes of Jurassic Park are more incidental than intentional. Like, it's hard to really call uh, John Hammond a bad guy. He is, but he's not the bad guy in the traditional, like, mustache twirling sense. But anyway, like, it's not really about how his capitalist ambitions of making an amusement park are bad because they are ambitions of making an amusement park and exploiting people. It's more that, like, he specifically is in the wrong and the ways that he has tried to, like, make this park have, like, stepped on the feet of scientists that came before without paying attention to what they were actually saying. It's like, there are anti-capitalist themes, but I feel like this isn't an explicitly anti-capitalist movie. It's more, like, it really is just, like, an explicitly... It's it's really is like a movie about hubris, which I'm saying over and over again now. But like, it's more about how this guy is like not paying attention to the world about him around him and it bites him in the ass more than it is about, well, an amusement park with live with live animals shouldn't happen. In this case, it's dinosaurs. And I feel like this movie makes a pretty good case for why an amusement park with live dinosaurs shouldn't happen. But it doesn't actually say, say that an amusement park is bad or that dinosaurs are bad. Just that if you put the two together, it's probably not a good idea.
1: Yeah, well, there's like the there's the message of just playing with, playing with things. Well, I guess they said it's like um, they, he didn't question whether he... No, he was so focused on whether he could, he didn't focus on whether he should or think about whether he should do it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's actually a very, still very relevant, um, you know, theme, you know, especially with climate, the climate crisis and all that. It's like, because back then it wasn't, like, this was pre the inconvenient truth. So the that wasn't really an issue. But it, it's crazy how that message still kind of sticks out where uh, it, it's, I guess it's kind of, it's it's almost like anti-treating nature with disrespect, if that makes sense. I'd say that's well, kind of what it is comes down to in a way like overall and then there's kind of themes that branch off of that
0: i think that sentence too your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't ask that they didn't stop the question whether or not they should i think that's such an that's such an important statement especially because like so my background i come from i have done like academic research as part of my master's i am by no means a professional scientist but i have like worked in science and a big headache that you run into when you you know are trying to do research is ethics boards because you have to get everything cleared from the ethics board and you just want to do your stuff whatever it is that you've whatever experiment it is that you've laid out you just want to do that and get it over with and like so that you can get to the analysis already or if the experiments the fun part get to the experimenting like you just want to deal with that but you have to go through many weeks of ethics board approval and like making sure that you line out, outline everything, send it to the right people, get it approved, make sure no one's being hurt by your stuff that you didn't think about all that kind of stuff. And it's a really, really important part of the scientific process, but especially if you're a young scientist or if you're someone that's like looking to get into science, you think about all the times that like in history Where a scientist has done something on accident and it's worked out like uh discovering penicillin or you know it's the kind of mindset that leads you to believe that like actually evil scientists that were experimenting on prisoners were doing something cool they actually aren't and you can't use any of their data because like the ways that they're going about things unethically disregard so much stuff that their experiments end up being entirely impractical whether or not they work so you just have to throw all that out and it makes people like and it makes like historically evil scientists just evil because they're not doing anything useful they're doing insane evil shit and then like you know it looks uh, they can say that it's advancing science in some way. The main one I'm thinking of is like the famous Nazi scientist, Joseph Mengele. He like experiments on all these prisoners and it's easy for people who don't know science to claim potentially that he, you know, that all of his research did interesting stuff, except it really didn't because without, with that entire, with that full lack of ethics, you're missing so many important parts of science that like you can't apply any of this later on because his because his experiments were flawed from the start. Anyway, back to dinosaurs from Nazi scientists. Sorry. About
1: that. What's the difference? Come on. <laughs> now, that, that's a movie I want to see: Nazi dinosaurs.
0: <laughs> Let me look it up. I'm sure it exists.
1: That's the yeah. You're, you're right. It probably is. Um. Yeah, no, it's 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 a it's it's a, it's a surprisingly mature movie considering the fact that the main audience is essentially families that want to see uh people escape dinosaurs, you know? Like there's a, there's a lot of I think that's what makes this movie special too is it it treats its audience with a lot of respect. Um, you know, I'd say in a similar essence of Pixar movies where, you know, they're kind of marketed towards kids, but there is a lot of deep thinking as well that you can look at at the movie through. There's a lot of different lenses you can look the movie at the movie. Like you could watch this movie and just want to see some dinosaurs rip some people apart <laughs> and you you would you would get your money's worth and then if you are looking for more in a movie, you get you get that and then you also get to see people <laughs> uh, getting ripped apart by dinosaurs. So it's like a win-win and I can see this is kind of another example of and you know I think with jaws uh, we were talking about how spielberg was able to kind of kind of capture the the horror and thrill of people getting eaten by sharks on a beach but still balance it out with you know the the feeling of adventure and family-friendly fun and you know camaraderie and stuff like that and well, he does this he does that but like to the max with jurassic park
0: and i would say importantly something i'm sure that you thought of but didn't just but just didn't mention right now is like everyone in both of those movies, like all the main characters with the potential exception of like, uh, Roy Schneider's wife in Jaws. If you consider her a main character gets like a full character arc with like a lot of depth, like in Jaws, you know, the three main characters on the boat and then also the mayor and even a lot of the smaller characters have full character arcs. In Jurassic Park, same thing with every character, straight down to uh, the guy played by Wayne Knight, whose name I'm forgetting, David Enbry or something. Um, Dennis Nedry. Why did I think David Enbry? De- Dennis Nedry. Even he has like a full character arc, even though his whole character is, he's doing corporate espionage and he sucks. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he, uh, yeah, every, well, actually, okay, before we jump into the characters, I guess we could talk about the summary of the movie. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves again.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, So, um, in this movie, uh, John Hammond, who is played by Richard Attenborough, who is the brother, if I'm not mistaken, of David Attenborough, uh, anyway, John Hammond has created a park, a theme park, an amusement park where he has cloned or he's gotten scientists to clone dinosaurs. And the way they did this is they took like dinosaur blood from mosquitoes trapped in Amber, uh, fixed up the missing connections and then, um, used an unexplained cloning technology to just create dinosaur eggs and hatch an entire island of dinosaurs. And, he wants to have this be a big safari park, basically. Uh, rides to come. He he says there's going to be rides, but they don't actually show any rides in the movie. Um, and so... Uh, however, early on, one of his workers dies at the hands of a dinosaur. So he needs to bring in some experts to convince the lawyers that his park is... But, is like both safe and novel and like worth being allowed to open so he brings in Alan Grant Ellie Sattler and Ian Malcolm uh three scientists played by Sam Neill Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum to evaluate his park and also just like see dinosaurs because he wants to show them uh I mean he wants them to be wowed by the park more than he wants their approval he doesn't like He doesn't actually want them there as impartial, reasonable observers. He wants them there as guests who he can show something really cool to. And uh, unsurprisingly, things go south. I wouldn't say quickly, but it does happen. And uh, it turns from look at the cool dinosaur park to survive the scary dinosaur park. And that's basically the movie. Yeah, at least at like a surface level, that's a plot of the movie.
1: Yeah. Um, Okay, I I do want to talk about Wade Knight because you mentioned it. (laughs) I want to get back into the characters because yeah, the cast in this is absolutely insane. I think, like like you said in Jaws, I'd say the three characters that Spielberg ends up focusing on, like you end up really growing with. I think Mm -hmm. like literally every character in this movie is like is like really cool and fun to watch and interesting, and you know obviously not all of them get like the most focus, but they all have, they all have development and their own kind of character arcs for the most part. Um, but yeah, and Wayne Knight, this was, I guess, kind of during Pete Seinfeld era where he was, he was, he was, he was, he was pretty big. And I think he, he, he brings like, um. I, I thought he, he was such an interesting villain in my opinion. Like he's, he's definitely not someone you would usually expect in a villain. Um, and I think that's what really makes him stick out is that he's just, he's, he's, he's not even like, I wouldn't even say he was a terrible guy. He just, he kind of hated his boss. And I think everyone can relate to that. And he wasn't yeah. paid. And obviously he put people's lives at risk and that's not okay. Um, but like there was a relatable, he, he feels like an everyday person. He's not this super megalomaniac villain or anything that's like, you know, and I feel like we get in the in, in the sequel trilogy, um, he's just kind of an asshole and he gets rubbed the wrong way and he wants to screw someone over.
0: He's an asshole, but he works for an asshole and that's kind of why he's an asshole.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you see you see that, like, Hammond... At, at first, I think when when they present Hammond, he's, like, a He's kind of, like, this Disney-esque, like, visionary. And, um... And he has this kind of grace to him, <laughs> and like, and like this old man's like kindness and wisdom. And then, like, when you see him interact with with Nedry, Nedry, right? The first time, yeah. it's like you can see the you can start seeing the cracks starting to show. You know, um, yeah.
0: The way Hammond comes across to me is he's extremely charismatic, and he probably isn't like he's probably never explicitly an asshole to anyone around him until you like really piss him off but like he's the kind of guy like i would have worked i've worked for some people like this like he's the kind of guy who always wants to get his way but doesn't actually know the technology that people are that the people under him are working with so like he doesn't realize and more importantly actually doesn't care if what he's asking of Dennis Nedri and his other techno technicians is unreasonable. Like, yeah. he's just like, here, do this. And, mm-hmm. you know, Nedry will be like, this is going to take me forever. I'm not going to be able to do this and I'm going to have to shut down the park. And he's like, do it and don't shut down the park. You can't do that.
1: Yeah. It kind of, it's, um, it, it does remind me, I, I think there's a lot of, you know, people that, uh, like I mean, if, if it kind of reminds me of like what you hear about Steve Jobs, where uh, I'd, I'd say it's a lot different. But he was he was much more a visionary than he was a tech person. And I'd say mm. in this case, uh, it was kind of similar. Where Hammond would, wanted to present, he had this vision in his head, but he had no idea on how to get from square one to there. So he just hired people, and it's obvious that his money his money didn't necessarily uh buy him everything he needed so he had to cheap out in some spots. And security is definitely one place you don't want to cheap out on. But unfortunately, as we've seen in a lot of and actually oh, well, a few theme parks, I wouldn't say like, you know, the big ones, but like I've seen I've heard of stories where uh there'll be like, you know, a roller coaster and uh it went when something goes wrong, like there's literally no safety protocol. Like no one knows what they're doing. Because they were just kind of hoping that it would never happen. Honestly, that's, that's, so this isn't like a, this isn't like a, like I would, that's the thing. I wouldn't even say Hammond is like, like a a completely evil villain. He's just kind of a, he's a guy that's really rich and he's just kind of cheaping out in a few ways.
0: Well, I think it's kind of telling that the first time him and Nedry get into a fight, which in the movie is actually like the only time they get into a fight. But like the fight relatively quickly gets down to Hammond being like, no, I'm not giving you more money. And that's like the end of the conversation. The con- But their fight doesn't end there. But Hammond never moves on to another argument after I'm not giving you more money. So like, at a certain point, he, you know, it's very clear anytime that he talks with a scientist that he's only he's only interested in what they're doing enough that he, uh, enough to like, let him be able to explain it to people if he needs to. But, like, when it's, when it comes to Nedry, like, he's, he's just sort of, his solution is, like, if I throw more money at Nedry, will it get me what I want? And he's done that, clearly, enough times to the point where he doesn't want to throw more money at Nedry.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that's really not a good idea when you have, like, I want to say two people on, like, the software installation of the park, Yeah. And, and you are, and you are underpaying one of them, like the head guy. Like that's, that's not a good, it's not a good idea.
0: Well, and with. noticeably the one guy that he isn't underpaying Nedry, he's clearly paying Nedry too much. He's Nedry has also figured out that John Hammond doesn't have an, doesn't have any idea what's going on in there. So he can just ask for more money from John Hammond. That too. So yeah. like, cl- like, you know, when they go to Nedry's desk and see that he's just a slob who's not actually doing any work, it's like, it's not surprising. He's, it, he's like, he's exasperated with his job and the, and Jurassic Park needs him to operate, but mm. also he does not, he clearly doesn't care about the job because he is, def- he's, among other things, he's determined he can just get the money he needs.
1: Yeah, basically. And then he's also he's supported by Sam Jackson, who is also an IT guy and probably the most interesting role I've ever seen, Sam Jackson. And I'm not going to lie. Like, I remember when mm. I first watched this movie, I, I could not believe he was in this movie. Like, I was
0: shocked when I saw him in here today. I was like, <laughs> right? oh, wait a minute. I I mean, I think I've seen pictures of him, but I didn't realize that was real.
1: Yeah. like I've, I've never heard of this movie marketed as Sam Jackson being in it, you know, I'm surprised they didn't bring him back for the sequel series Mm -hmm. as as like a legacy character. Like, obviously he's not a huge character, but um, it's probably like one of the least, like, I, I mean, we always see Sam Jackson in like these action roles. Um, I never thought I'd see him as like a computer nerd, like hack, like trying to fix, fix a, a theme parks, like security system. But he he sells that role really well too. Like he's amazing of, in that role.
0: It's one of very 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 few roles. Like frankly, it might be the only Samuel L. Jackson role I've ever seen where he's not intentionally a badass. <laughs> right. Like,
1: yeah. He's
0: he's just like a compute. He's he's literally an office worker with a receding yeah. hairline, which is like I've never seen Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen Samuel L. Jackson with a receding hairline. Like, it's usually bald, (laughs) he's got a bunch of hair. But, like, I've certainly never seen him as an office worker. Usually he is an assassin. Or, if he's not an assassin, he's a killer.
1: Yeah. And the fact that he's just randomly in this role. Like, like, I don't know what his career was at at the time. Like, this was early in the 90s. I think this was pre-Pulp Fiction. So...
0: I think it was the year of Pulp Fiction.
1: Okay. So, uh, and I think that that gave his career a big boost at the time. But, I mean, either way, it's just, I, I, th- I just thought it was really cool. And it makes me, in hindsight, wish that we saw Sam Jackson in, you know, a lot of different roles. Because, like, this was, like, such a nothing character in the movie. Like, he didn't really, there wasn't much to it. But I thought he acted the hell out of it and he really sold, he he sold the character, and obviously it's not like a character with a huge arc, but I just, I remember remember it so vividly, despite him having such a minor role.
0: It would have been crazy to see Samuel L. Jackson in Office Space.
1: Yes, that's, I think that's what we need. (laughs) That would have been way cooler. Um, Yeah, and that, we're just talking about, like, the minor characters like we haven't even yeah, touched we haven't even on
0: touched Laura Dern yet.
1: Yeah. Laura Dern, Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum, um, you know, this, the trio that I, I guess they're, they come in as the experts, but, uh, yeah, they, they, they just bring so much charisma and heart into the movie. Um, I wouldn't say they're necessarily like hugely memorable. Like that's why like we were talking about it earlier like these these are good characters um mm-hmm. i wouldn't say there was ever like any legacy to them though i'm, ne- I'm never i was never i don't think anyone's like oh like what, what's his name dr
0: alan grant or dr alan, alan
1: grant like no one's like a huge no one's cosplaying as dr alan grant like in huge numbers at <laughs> like comic-con or anything like he's just he's just a guy in a movie. Um, I do
0: think that, like, Ian Malcolm is a phenomenal role from Jeff Goldblum. Obviously, they're all good. But, like, I think that Ian Malcolm actually stands out as being particularly memorable in this movie. Yeah. I for one well, thing, he's got a lot of good gifts out of this movie. But, like, yeah. also, I think, I think like, very early on, we're introduced to Sam Neill and Laura Dern. So, like, uh, Dr. Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler. And they're, like, a couple that's doing um dinosaur digs Mm. and then the moment that ian malcolm is introduced as the chaos theorist mathematician like within minutes he's hitting on ellie sattler and like (laughs) she it it doesn't seem like she even really notices yeah i mean like she's into it but like it doesn't seem like she notices it as flirting and ian malcolm is just like Constantly hitting on Ellie Sattler, <laughs> uh constantly saying like weird nonsense garbage, and then also just like finding any excuse he can to lay down and look sexy. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think he's,
0: he's a chaos theorist, and he's also the most chaotic character in this movie.
1: Yeah. I, I could totally see them when they were making Iron Man, like trying to base base some of the aspects off of Jeff Goldblum in this. Mm-hmm. Dr. Ian Malcolm, because yeah, I I he's just he's like a rock star, but he's also because you like you said, he's like flirting, but he's not doing it. It's not like he shifts character when he does it. Like I'd say like when you watch Iron Man, it's like he be, he's he becomes like Playboy and then there's also the the genius, you know? Yeah. Whereas Ian Malcolm is like he's using he like when he's using chaos, the explanation of chaos theory to flirt. He's like have Laura you ever heard and- of
0: Lot He's always like, he's like, have you ever heard of nonlinear equations? Wait, you've never heard of nonlinear equations? Yeah. <laughs> Give me your hand. Let me explain them to you.
1: Yeah, it's it's really well done, and um, like the merging of that character and like those two aspects of his character, and he brings a lot of charisma to the movie. Like I'd say, like um, there's a lot of charismatic figures in it, but uh, I. I'd say of the three main characters, he brings a lot of the chaos to that group, you know, Mm -hmm. whereas, you know, Laura Dern and Sam Neill come in and they're essentially just two really big dinosaur experts. And that's all they care about, you know, like there's kind of a little, there's, there's hints of, you know, uh, Laura Dern uh, being attracted to Sam Neill in some ways and like kind of hinting towards like, you know, like settling down together um, but you kind of have this really, I wouldn't say he's kind of emotionally stunted, uh, Alan Grant, who like, he, he just, like you said, he, he doesn't really notice. It's kind of like Laura, he doesn't really notice that Laura Dern's flirting with him that much. Kind of like how she doesn't notice that Jeff Goldblum's flirting with her. It's just a cute dynamic where these, you kind of have these two people that are just focused on the love of dinosaurs. And you have Jeff Goldblum, who's just kind of there to like party essentially, yeah. while also dropping, like, it's like he's there to party at first, but then you actually also realize he's insanely intelligent, and he's able to express the the themes of the movie in a very charismatic way that I think Laura Dern and Sam Neill's characters couldn't really telegraph. Like, I can't imagine Sam Neill uh, doing the, you know, the whole you were so focused on whether you could, you didn't think about whether you should, cause he's not a charismatic character. And I think yeah. like if he was to say it, it wouldn't come across as like an amazing line. But Jeff Goldblum is like, you could just throw him anything in this movie and he would have spun it into something insanely uh, cool to say. And he does it multiple times in the movie.
0: So he's, he's also a great got the foil. iconic Like life finds a way line, which is, you know, it's, if you just read it, it's a fantastic quote, but actually like seeing it performed, it's so good.
1: Yeah. It's so good. And it's so memorable. Like it's Mm -hmm. a very simple quote. It's like three words, but um, yeah, the impact works really well. And uh, yeah. And then, you know, I I love how the movie kind of, you know, kind of similar with Jaws, but like halfway through the movie, it, it stops being like this philosophical look at, at, you know, science, and then it kind of becomes this just adventure movie of whether Sam Neill can escape the jungle with uh, with two kids that are yeah. Hammond's grandchildren, right? And yeah, I believe uh, so. he learns to kind of become a a father figure and learn how to care about other people that aren't dinosaurs. Essentially, I
0: mean. Alan Grant's character arc starts with Laura Dern questioning him about does he about why he doesn't want kids and by the end he's like it's never said but he like looks at the kids that he's got in his arms and he looks at the kids and then he looks at Laura Dern like <laughs> that in another in like a really flirty way it's it's weird actually but it's clearly like the end of his character arc where he's like I could do this actually
1: yeah and that I think that's I mean, I was, I was saying that it doesn't really matter if they bring back Alan Grant, but now that I think about it, I think, you know, with the last Jurassic World movie, it, it kind of annoyed me that they really, I feel like after Jurassic Park, I just imagined that him and Laura Dern were going to get together and have kids because I feel like that's what it was like setting up. That was the arc, you know?
0: That's the arc, yeah.
1: Yeah. So the idea that uh, Alan Grant went on to not have anything to do with family and continue to obsess over dinosaurs for another 40 years is kind of a depressing like it's like that defeats the whole point of the movie you know like yeah that that was his arc and um that's that's something i hate about these uh it's like when you bring characters back and they were love interests in a different movie like why do they always have to be broken up and then you hope for reconciliation you know they did that they did that on star wars with with Han and Leia too where it's like why do these characters have to be depressed to give them an arc to get back together again you know it's just such a weird like I get why they do it because it's just an easy character arc to pull off like if they did it before let's do it again even though they're like seven years old now mm-hmm. um but it just like it just kind of icks me and because that that arc in this movie was so so well done
0: well that I can't believe and it I, know threw it we, away. I know we differ on our opinions of uh The Last Jedi, but I was going to actually like put this next to Luke's arc because what I think is interesting is like, well, the comparison I see there is like in Jurassic Park, we have Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler and their arc is kind of over the course of the movie, you know, getting together and being okay with potentially starting a family potentially together, but like one of them at the very beginning clearly is not okay with, you know, kids So that's his whole character arc. And then it's really disappointing in Jurassic World Dominion to see them have done nothing with that. And their character arc is exactly the same. Well, not exactly the same, but they start from the same place. Both of them don't have families and they both love dinosaurs. Great, but it's not an evolution of their first arc. It's the same thing. And at least with like the comparison that I draw to The Last Jedi is like, Mark Hamill's Luke Skywalker has an entire arc through three movies and it's huge. It's so varied. I can't even really put it into like words right away because it would take too long. There's so much going on in those first three movies. And then in the last Jedi, the one thing that Ryan Johnson doesn't do is bring Luke back to turn him into a Jedi. It's like he takes what people might not like, like people might not think it's a good evolution of his character but it is an evolution of his character that like does follow from the original trilogy not necessarily obviously like ryan johnson has some flashback work to do to get there but like it is something different where you know in jurassic world dominion it's specifically not something different because when they thought of bringing back those characters they didn't want to do anything different. They wanted to bring those characters back so that people would come watch the movie.
1: Yeah. And it's just lame that like I I don't know. I I hate I hate that they would just like kind of disrespect the movie. Like that actually that didn't even bother me until now. That I'm thinking about it. Like um I'm just gonna my head canon now, I'm I'm gonna assume Jurassic World never happened in the Jurassic Park universe. I'm just gonna say Jurassic Park one and two are canon in my head canon and everything else is just fanfic <laughs> at this point. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I, I think Spielberg is just so great at the feeling of family and adventure. And he really captures that in this movie uh, in a similar way with Jaws. And, you know, I again, like after watching The Fablemans, it makes so much sense that uh, why he's able to capture that so well you know it's kind of because or he hints in the movie it's because he he never really had a stable family so it seems like he's he's um he's capable of capturing on film what he kind of yearns for if that makes sense mm-hmm. um which is that sense of family and yeah he i think he really nails it down here and uh you know, a lot of times I think when you have these young kids in movies, especially like an action movie, kind of like you you expect them to really drag it down. But he's he's also very he's very good at directing kids
0: mm-hmm. in a way
1: that really helps us, you know, bond with them. Like the all like the the child actors in this are both very well done too, and they they also have their own characters, and they work very well with uh, Alan Grant chemistry wise, because that they become the core of the movie in the second half too so uh yeah i i I, i'm starting to see like what makes spielberg spielberg more and more by watching these movies
0: i uh i definitely imprinted pretty hard on alan grant because at the beginning of the movie i found um i found the kids extremely annoying and by the end i didn't hate them which was development that was that was a big thing because so specifically the two child actors uh Joseph Mazzarello and Ariana Richards, the two child actors, have their um, they have one scene where they're like in a kitchen running from Velociraptors, and that is like maybe my favorite action scene in the whole movie. Even like that scene came up, and I was like, "Oh, this is cool! Damn it, I hate these guys, but this is so cool." Yeah,
1: it's so, a very if, tense if scene, right? It, yeah. And very well especially, directed.
0: Well, and especially right before that, I think what's really—it's a separate action scene. They have another action scene before um, that isn't even framed like an action scene. Like there's no action happening. It's uh, Alan Grant and the two kids have to climb over an electric fence, and one of—and the like—the little boy gets scared, so he's having trouble climbing down. And at the same time, unbeknownst to them. Laura Dern is turning on all the power in the park which is like such a that's such a cool scene to me because no part of that is or should be an action scene but it's given that extra tension by the like thing that we as the audience know but none of the characters do like when Laura Dern turns on the final button to like uh to set to turn on power on the park in the park she's triumphant. She's like, yes, I did it. She also accidentally just killed a child, which is like, so you know, it's not triumphant for us, the audience, but it works so, so well. There's there's some like downright miraculous action scenes in this because of how awesomely done they are.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, it's there's so much restraint because like he's like they Spielberg is able to turn these relatively like normal like scenes like again it was that scene was a kid climbing a fence like and he was scared yeah. of the he was scared i think he was scared of heights or something or right? he was scared of climbing the fence was no, that part of yeah, it Yeah i
0: think i think so yeah
1: i'm trying to okay so um i think like because like again like in jurassic world you just have like chris pratt is fighting dinosaurs with like like tranquilizers and a gun and motorcycles <laughs> and it's like like there's an aspect to that that's fun, but it's like it's so unrestrained, you know, whereas mm-hmm. this it's like they had no they could not fight the dinosaurs, essentially. So they really just they really had to um take these scenes that weren't that on the surface weren't that interesting. And he really had to direct the hell out of them to turn like a kid climbing a fence into something equally as thrilling as an action scene, if not more intense. Like, there's no scenes in the Jurassic World series that made me feel as nervous as that scene <laughs> because... Yeah. You know, I think it's also because there's no bad guy and Like, you, you don't want Laura Dern to accidentally kill the child, you know? Like, I feel like if it was a bad person doing it, well then you'd be like, you'd, you'd be focused and you'd be like, off, like, screw that guy. But in this, it's like, there's no winners. It's like, if the kid dies and Laura Dern's the one that did it, then it's like, well, shit, Lord, I don't want to hate Laura Dern.
0: Well, the, the weirdest part of it is you're rooting for both of them. You want the kid to get down <laughs> off that fence, but you also want Laura Dern to turn on all the power. Like both of these are important things and both of them are like major things for each of the characters that are all characters we like. Like there, it's not even that there is no bad guy. It's just that the two good guys are like, I mean, like there is no bad guy, like you're saying, but the two good guys are just like, both doing something that we want them to succeed at that are at odds with each other, you know, silly reasons that none of them can even predict.
1: Yeah. I, um, I would say like, it's, it's very, I don't know. I, I just like the idea of taking it, taking these team situations and making them so stressful. Um, even though there is their fair share of action scenes, like the, uh, I wouldn't say it's not fully action, but like the scene where the T-Rex first attacks, like the, the, I want to say the parade of, of cars uh, that were going through the, the park and you kind of get this, you know, that I wouldn't say it's a chase scene, but it's just like this really tense scene of the T-Rex kind of slowly tracking them down and they can't move. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I don't know. That's just a really big moment. Cause I feel like that's where you, you really needed to make that T-Rex work. You know, if that scene doesn't work, then the tension throughout the rest of the movie is gone, you know. But they started with the T-Rex for a reason because you needed to know that like these guys are screwed, you know, like they're in a very dangerous situation. And um and they, I mean they they really up the 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 tension too when I mean the lawyer dies. <laughs> when the lawyer dies, it's a very funny scene, but it's also horrifying too cuz it's just like Like, he didn't, no one liked the guy, but it's also, he was just a lawyer. Like, it's not like he was this evil guy, and then he he dies in a very brutal way, I'm not gonna lie.
0: Well, and I was gonna say, just on the note of, like, starting with the T-Rex, I think starting with the T-Rex, first off, we expect the T-Rex to be, like, the biggest dinosaur, the biggest, most dangerous dinosaur on the island. But, like, starting with the T-Rex, looking for them, and actually being the biggest, most dangerous dinosaur on the island makes it that much more impactful when the T-rex finally comes back at the end after they've discovered that every other dinosaur on the island is also big and bad and they don't want to run into them. So yeah. like when the T-rex comes back and saves them from velociraptors, it like means that much more because you know it's the one dinosaur that we haven't seen in a long time. that's also the biggest baddest one. And it's saving them from, you know, the one thing that's been terrorizing them the last, in that case, at that point, 20 minutes or something.
1: Yeah, that's a beautiful moment. Like you never, I don't think anyone actually expected the T-Rex to come back in any way because they're just so focused on the raptors, right? That mm-hmm. it, it takes any, all of that out. So yeah, that, that was the T-Rex. And I mean, uh, I remember seeing that's that's kind of what, what they started looking at when they were thinking about uh, adding a lot of, Uh, cgi effects into this movie Mm -hmm. uh and they were talking about earlier but like this this it seems like this was one of the first big movies to really prove cgi was a usable concept Mm -hmm. uh for extended action sequences in a big movie um because it all you know all very real and believable because um initially they were going to use stop motion and i think that would have really dragged the movie down in some ways without the fluid movement of of the t-rex uh really capturing the terror of that scene you know
0: and i think they used um they ended up using like a hybrid right like where they could they used animatronics but when they needed like Mm -hmm. a big t-rex coming in they had you know the cgi t-rex yeah but i know they have like the little dinosaurs peeking out from behind the tree which is just animatronics
1: yeah i think those are i i it's weird. I like when you see an animatronic; you can usually tell it's fake. Mm-hmm. But there's just something so endearing, and like I don't know, like I won't say gritty, but like it's just real. You know, like you know it's real and it's there. Yeah, and that just adds to it. And you know, again, that's I think that's something. Jurassic World. I think they did have some animatronics, but there was definitely a lot less restraint with the CGI. Yeah, uh, overall, and I think that kind of affects. Um, how real the dinosaurs will feel but yeah I-, I loved all the animatronics even like I think Nedry's Nedry's killed by like an animatronic essentially like it's a very I think so. it- it's uh it it just kind of pops up and it looks like an animatronic and it's kind of like the shark scene when you know when the guy dies from the shark in Jaws like it's still f- even though you can tell it's fake it still feels kind of scary and like gross to look at a death scene from an animatronic you know
0: like the animal feels fake but the pain and the shit that it's doing to him feels very real
1: yeah exactly uh yeah and i guess you know i I think it was they have to shoot it in specific ways too to make it look better whereas i feel like with cgi you can just if you just show it in an unrestrained way it, it loses all its tension you know Mm-hmm. um so yeah i i liked i that nedry scene that scene was actually really cool too and kind of horrifying as well i like just the idea of being blinded by dinosaur dinosaur goop and then
0: but the thing is too they'd explained earlier that that's acid so he wasn't just oh, yeah. blinded; like that was burning yeah. him too it was
1: a very he he definitely really paid for his crimes <laughs> on the Spielberg island
0: Spielberg is like I don't know exactly how to describe it, but Spielberg is really good at making very, very violent deaths, but at the same time, like all and, and not necessarily making them super predictable. Like, sure. We thought, sure. Like people are expecting Nedry to die, but for example, in jaws, I'm not expecting quint to die. I was never expecting that to happen. So it's a big shock when it actually does. And it's so violent. So yeah. it's not that, like, because the other thing that he's really good at doing is the characters that do survive have, like, a really hopeful, nice ending. Like, things end really well for the characters that actually do survive. Um, and I think what's interesting about that is uh, at, he's good at both of those things. And at no point does he, like, overly telegraph which characters are going to live and which characters are going to die. Like, I mean, I know that Alan Grant is alive in Jurassic World Dominion, but this is 1993 when this came out. It's the first Jurassic Park movie. There's no guarantee that, like, any of the scientists are going to live. And for a while, it looks like Jeff Goldblum specifically is going to die. So, like, um, you know, and, well, and in addition to that, there's no indication that the lawyer is going to die either. He doesn't even seem like a particularly... For a while, he doesn't even seem like he's like a super minor role. He feels like he's a, he kind of feels like a park employee. And Samuel L. Jackson doesn't look like he's gonna die. So why would we expect the lawyer to die? And he just gets like yeeted out of a car. Like he gets he gets got pretty early. So I yeah. think it, like what's re- I think I think it's really interesting how like there's no obvious telegraphing like that's the guy who's gonna die and he still and he ended and he ends up being able to use that to like get away with really violent deaths that are also shocking more so than you would expect them to be
1: yeah the uh the other scene that really got me was uh Sam Jackson's death I was not that one I actually wasn't expecting at all and that I remember that really freaking me out when I first saw that of uh ellie ellie sadler i think it was what she found his like arm right essentially like his arm was attached and it was like it was like kind of it was on her and he was like oh it's just you and then like she moves and then the arm like falls off or someone um that's a brutal scene i don't know and it's just i think it just kind of makes it worse that he was i think he's the only nice character like there was nothing he was a good guy and he was genuinely like helping a lot and he dies off screen I, too he doesn't even get the grace of a, a good death scene
0: yeah uh i i take that back i think i implied that he didn't die and i had actually forgotten that he did i didn't realize whose hand that was
1: oh oh you just thought it was like a random hand
0: i actually thought it was the like army guy that they employed but then they saw i saw him in the next scene and i was like oh okay that was just like a random hand
1: yeah. i don't know why oh. i
0: thought that i must have not <laughs> been paying attention for a second yeah
1: yeah, I don't know. That's, that's, that's a brutal one. Like, just because, Yeah, because just because he's... He felt... He seemed like the only guy... I mean, he saved everyone mostly. Like, he's... Yeah. He's the one that kind of got the plan together to get power back on the park. And, like, he was telling people where to go. And he, he's, he was just trying to fix Nedry's problems and he gets screwed for it. Mm-hmm. Um, So that's kind of a sad death. But, yeah, no, it, but it's still cool that despite the grittiness of those scenes, it's still, like, a very family-friendly adventure you know like it doesn't it it doesn't tonally clash with anything else it's just Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of like I said earlier with like Spielberg adds these philosophical ideas to the movie despite it being a movie about people running away from dinosaurs and it just really adds an extra layer to it you know and I think Mm -hmm. treating the the audience with the maturity to be okay with seeing some gruesome deaths is like kind of part of what makes these movies special too you know but he's but he does it in a way that it it, like i said earlier it never feels wrong and out of place in the movie um you know i think i think that's what that's something that sticks out about a lot of modern blockbusters is that there's no there's no gore they really try to sanitize all the violence and i think that really kind of disrespects or not disrespects but like it's just like No, yeah, it kind of disrespects the audience to be like, so this you're gonna cut this guy's throat open and he's just there's not gonna be any blood, (laughs) like, like, um... or like just don't kill him, don't slash his throat, like if you're not gonna show blood, like there are other ways to kill someone that can be more sanitized, but you can't have both, you know, and it it takes a lot of tension out of out of modern blockbusters if you're not willing to you know, show show that they these people are in danger and that they're going to die in these pretty painful ways.
0: It actually reminds me of uh, when we talked about Shang-Chi. And the villain of Shang-Chi is supposed to be this warlord who's been, like, pulling the strings for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And his entire... Uh, and all of his underlings use tasers.
1: Yeah, that... that- it- that was so stupid to me. It's like, why are these villains not using lethal weapons? And no one's even, like, there's no explanation for it. It's just like, like, they, they just don't want to kill anyone? Like, what? Like, if yeah. at least add something to it. Like, I could see, like, Wenwu well, being, is, like, too, like, I like, don't want to be a violent man anymore. I just want my wife back. And I'm going to do anything I can without, like, killing anyone. But he still kills people. <laughs> he just and, and, he does like, it with tasers. Fully,
0: yeah, and he fully expresses that he is that he has no qualms about killing anybody or that he like he doesn't mind if his soldiers kill people like it is not a concern for him and yet all of his soldiers use taser crossbows
1: yeah in a world where like, like people like it's not like machine guns don't exist on this world we see it in other movies they just I'm stop. pretty
0: sure we see his soldiers using spears at the very beginning of the movie I can't remember yeah. for certain but like they don't use tasers in fifteenth century China.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know, dude. Like and that's like Shang-Chi is just one example. It's just it's all over the place and it really makes no sense.
0: Mm-hmm. And like you
1: said, like how am I supposed to believe someone like Wen Wu is actually this dangerous man when you don't see any examples of that? You know? You need you need at least one gruesome example of that. And like that's what we see when the T-Rex comes in and He eats the lawyer who's sitting on a toilet, like, and he just—it's not like a—he just snatches him up and eats him, and it's really sad to see. Even though you don't even like the lawyer that much, that Mm -hmm. really sets the tone, and it really shows that Alan Grant and the kids are in danger being out there alone, and it—it sets the tension for whether they can get the power back online at the park and get them safe, because like, well, dinosaurs aren't going to pull punches, as we saw a couple times throughout the movie, right?
0: Yeah, hell, the dinosaurs that they run into that are fully peaceful aren't pulling punches because they do not care two shits about the humans that are there. Like the yeah, the, the dinosaurs yeah. they see that are just like flocking away from the uh from the T-Rex, like those dinosaurs will run them over and kill them because they don't care. They yeah. don't do that because they get out of the way in time, but like those dinosaurs don't give two shits.
1: Yeah. And that's 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 definitely what makes them horrifying. There's no, they're just they're just they're acts. It's acts. It's an act of nature. It's not like even I. That might be why the dinosaurs are scarier too. Is like you know than a normal villain because you know a normal villain wouldn't you wouldn't expect them to kill kids, right? Just like that feels mm-hmm. like an unspoken rule. But no, the dinosaurs do not give a shit whether they're kids or not. So yeah, they're made of
0: meat, and yeah. the dinosaurs <laughs> yeah. are hungry
1: that's all that matters and that adds a lot to it um and i that's actually something i think drastic world did kind of well is that some of some of those deaths were kind of brutal too uh, i still remember the babysitter one being a little much but do you remember that the was babysitter? That in Jurassic death? World too? No, it was in the first one. It's like when the park it's like the kids were had a babysitter and she was just like on her phone a lot and she gets like the most brutal death in the entire series where like I think a pterodactyl picks her up, and then like and then a rap like a different animal snatches her out of the air, and then she gets eaten by like the huge water creature that snatches her midair and it's like
0: that's expensive. she was just
1: she was just on her phone like she, she wasn't a good babysitter, but I don't think she was like an evil person that deserved like. Like this, like death by like four different dinosaurs tearing her apart. Like that was that nope. was a, that was totally weird. In that yeah, you
0: don't understand. Phone bad.
1: <laughs> Phone bad. Phone at plus bad babysitter equals worse than. Uh, I was I would say, who is like the worst character in Jurassic Park? I'd probably say Nedry, right? Like actively Nedry. putting children in danger.
0: Nedry is the worst character I would say and he and I think that like he has one of the most brutal deaths I think that like at a certain point you can it's arguable which death is the worst but his is one of the ones where you could make that argument
1: yeah but at least like I just it wasn't I feel like they really dragged the babysitter one out um yeah
0: Nedry's Nedry's death is he falls essentially he falls to his death there's a lot of moving parts around that he falls yeah it's, he doesn't get killed by four different creatures.
1: <laughs> it's not like this huge, epic, like, feast or anything. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But I, I think what made his really work is, like, it still made me kind of squirm. Like, his death is oh, just feels very nasty,
0: intimate. Yeah.
1: You know, like, it was him in the middle of the rainforest with rain. Like, he couldn't even see anything and just imagine, like, you know, that one little cute dinosaur. <laughs> it was kind of cute, too. That's what, mm-hmm. that's what makes it worse. Uh, just kind of slowly eating him alive like that's that's pretty messed up but yeah yeah I but yeah I, again it, it never really threw me off um, I guess part of it is just because it was happening it mostly happened to bad people on screen relatively bad people so true not, not exclusively
0: like Sam Jackson died
1: yeah but that wasn't on screen though too oh which true. like kind of makes it different but difference but i mean maybe people didn't realize he died either (laughs) like you didn't realize he died um but yeah i don't it's it's uh it's a it's a great movie i don't know
0: So i guess like in summary what do you what what would you say if you had to give a rating to jurassic park since we did this for jaws what do you think
1: i'd say like nine it's like a nine out of ten um I think everything about this movie is pretty perfect. Other than I personally don't love the scene in the kitchen <laughs> with the Raptors. I think Damn. it goes on a little too long and it kind of loses its tension after a bit. Uh But other than that, I think it's a perfect movie. I don't know what you would, you could change about this.
0: Yeah. I, I agree that I have no idea what I'd change about this. I think like for me, I tune out a little bit when it gets into the horror stuff, just cause mm. like, I don't even know. I just feel like a lot of times when you get a tonal shift into what should be more exciting, uh, maybe I'm just overstimulated, but like that just doesn't resonate as well for me, but it's still yeah. good. Like it's, the fact that I like the second half of the movie a little less than the first half. Isn't like that meaningful. I think it's still very good. And yeah. uh, I think for me, like, I think we're basically just opposite on Jaws. I gave Jaws 9 out of 10. You gave it an 8.5. I'd give this an 8.5, and you gave it a 9.
1: That's fair, yeah. I do I do kind of see – I I miss the – the the entourage is just so good that seeing all of them riff off each other was, like, um, felt very engaging, you know? Yeah. Because I can see why splitting them up and then having – Alan Grant, who, you know, he's not necessarily the most charismatic character. Like, it was necessary. His character had to be like that. Yeah. But just having him and the kids together, you're missing, like, you're missing some charisma, you know? Because you're basically separating him from all the all the fun, zany characters of the cast who are off doing other things, you know? And they kind of yeah, get a lower role.
0: Like, I would say that uh, Sam Jackson's best scenes are with um, Jeff Goldblum. I would say that uh, Sam Neill's best scenes are with Jeff Goldblum, and I would probably say that Laura Dern's best scenes are with Jeff Goldblum and potentially also with Richard Attenborough because she has a lot of really good one-on-one scenes with him. Yeah. But basically, like, I gotta, I, I love Jeff Goldblum in this. I think he steals the show. In not, not actually, actually, I, I, I want to take that back. I don't think he steals the show, um, in the way that usually means. I think he elevates everyone else in every scene that he's in while still being like the strongest part of most of those scenes. Like That's when I'm saying crazy.
1: that
0: when I'm seeing Sam Neill's best scenes are with Jeff Goldblum, those aren't Jeff Goldblum's best scenes. Those are the scenes where Sam Neill riffing on Jeff, Go- off Jeff Goldblum makes Sam Neill like really, really better in those scenes than he is in most of the ones where Jeff Goldblum is nowhere to be seen.
1: Yeah, it 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 adds a lot of because again, he was kind of the straight man, right? Yeah. So to remove him from the straight manness of having all these zany characters just does kind of affect the the fun of the movie. But it's tough because I don't think you can have I think his arc is really good and you can't have it done any other way. You know, like I can't imagine like, Jeff Goldblum also being on the run with the kids. and
0: No, no, and he shouldn't have been. But the thing is, there's a big difference between Sam Neill as a straight man to a zany Jeff Goldblum versus Sam Neill as a straight man to a zany child. The yeah. child just isn't as funny.
1: Yeah. And, like, and that's...
0: it has to be that way. But it does mean that we get fewer scenes of Jeff Goldblum and Sam Neill together. Yeah. Which is the way it is like it's yeah there's not much you can do about that
1: yeah i'd say that's kind of similar than like i mean yeah the exact same thing with jaws that i found was that i like i like the cast together i just wish they got together sooner and in this case the cast was together instantly it's just too bad that they split up so soon yeah in the movie but yeah but yeah again i, I don't know any other way you could have really integrated these characters without completely rewriting the movie um and giving them all different motivations you know but and like i
0: I don't i mean with if that movie was also good great but it is a completely different movie like i don't think that's a way to fix any of the issues i had with this movie because the issues i have with this movie are so minor i don't think they even need fixing
1: yeah yeah i'm not gonna be like (laughs) <laughs> I gotta go to Spielberg and be like, this is a 9 out of 10. Like, imagine being a studio exec, but like, and being like, I, this is a 9 out of 10, but we want you to rewrite the movie completely because we want Jeff Goldblum and more stuff. <laughs> be a little, a uh, little, a little counterintuitive. And also, maybe Jeff Goldblum works because he, he, because he, there's he not too much of him movie. Yeah, because as we see in The Lost World, um, which, uh, you might have to rewatch Jeff Goldblum is the main character in that. And he is a lot less fun when he is in the movie as much of that, that much of that makes sense. Mm. But to be fair, he's also mostly riffing off kids in that movie too. I think he has a kid and he's, it's like a movie where he's bonding with his estranged daughter and a potential love interest. I can't really remember, <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't work as well when he's in the movie as much, so that much. So, I'd say you know what, Steven, don't remake Jurassic Park. I think I think you did a good job. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna be the one to say it.
0: Yeah, I'm you know, controversial opinion here, but Jurassic Park, good movie.
1: Good movie, classic movie. Oh, can we just really quickly before we go, I wanna say John Williams score. One of the best scores I've ever heard. Yeah. Absolutely I, amazing.
0: I know I had like when we were talking about Jaws, I had reservations about it where like I think it ultimately worked, but a lot of the score I just didn't like very much. I loved this score from front to back. Like there's no no notes. This is one of the best, definitely one of the best John Williams scores I've ever seen. I've ever heard. Probably one of the most, one of the best like film scores, just straight up.
1: For sure. Yeah. His, the themes are just so memorable and, and huge and epic and again the sense of adventure and stuff um it's one of those oh go ahead
0: oh oh i was gonna say it's wild to me that there are two equally iconic big epic like establishing themes in this movie
1: yeah right like i i can do wait i'm trying to think i know one
0: the one the one where they see oh yeah and then the one that's literally at the very beginning
1: yeah, it's that like, also, dun, like happens dun, 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 yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, I know both of them. Yeah, it's 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 so good. And I mean, John Williams can't do wrong. I don't know. It's it's just crazy to me how he's in so many of these big movies and he just makes them. It's like he like I'm sure Jurassic Park would have been amazing either way, but he just brings it that extra level. He brings on yeah. that extra level that it's like you didn't I didn't need like an amazing score. For this crazy dinosaur movie, but he brought it, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those scores that I can just listen to for fun and like without context of the movie, I still enjoy. So yeah, good for him. Yeah. Anyway, all
0: right. Well, I don't think we're going to talk about Spielberg next week, but we'll probably talk about him again. Probably way sooner than either of us expect. Honestly.
1: Is he? Is he coming out with a? I do not story?
0: believe so. At least I don't know what it would be. I don't know. If, I don't think he's taking a break. I just don't think that his next movie is coming out immediately.
1: That's fair. I feel like, cause I, I feel like he's at the stage of his life where, like we were saying, he's like, he's getting through the movies that he had to, uh, he wanted to do. And now I feel like, like before he dies essentially, or retires. And um, yeah, I don't know what he's going to do next, so we'll see.
0: Um, i also also think it's cool that oh sorry go ahead oh i was gonna say when i look at his uh wikipedia for upcoming projects the only thing i see that's upcoming and has like something close to a name is it looks like he is developing a sort of reboot of the bullet character from the 60s which is a character that steve mcqueen played in like in, in some action movies Oh, so okay. that's the only thing that has like, that looks like it has any anything concrete. It also looks like he may have deals with Netflix and Apple TV Plus, possibly. Hard to say.
1: I feel like it's those deals where they just pay him like millions of dollars just for the chance to work with him. <laughs> like,
0: and like, I mean, I just hope they promote that stuff well because you know, I. You know, we I, I think both of us were more lukewarm on The Fablemans, but, like, it's still good, and it didn't do as well as it could have had it had better promotion. And I know that Netflix mm. is famously bad with promotion, so uh, it would be nice if they promoted that stuff because, like, <laughs> the Steven Spielberg... Steven Spielberg's name is enough to get people excited, but it's not enough to get people excited without at least a little bit of a marketing push anymore.
1: Yeah. like, I yeah. wonder if the Fableman's like, like I'm, I'm surprised that it wasn't advertised more as the story of Steven Spielberg's childhood, unless he didn't want to advertise it as that. Just I think he was
0: very open about it. Like I never got the impression that it was intentionally like that, that was an intentionally hidden fact.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Well, yeah, I, cause I didn't, I didn't know it was about his life until like I went to watch it essentially. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Oh, I, I just want to say it's cool that George Lucas had a big part of, or not a big part, but he, he, his Industrial Lights and Magic, um, helped make Jurassic Park, like the effects in Jurassic Park. And just, I think it's just cool that they were still working together in some aspect.
0: I like, like thirty years later,
1: friend. twenty years later.
0: I hope occasionally they go over to each other's house on uh, on Thanksgiving.
1: Right. Yeah like that'd yeah. be so wholesome to me i don't know that'd make me so happy yeah.
0: i yeah I, I hope to one day in my life see an instagram post that's just a picture of steven spielberg francis ford coppola and george <laughs> lucas and their families cry.
1: that'd be like beautiful. sitting
0: around on, fa- on thanksgiving
1: yeah that'd be anyway really cool.
0: what's our uh what's our last word pierre
1: life